What messages determine your life and the actions you take? As God's children, it is important to evaluate both the message and messengers that govern our lives. Hi, I'm Femi Osaban, a preacher for the Church of Christ. Thank you for tuning in to today's sermon, Consider Your Ways, taken from Ezra 5 and Haggai 1, where we will look at Haggai's sermon that called the Israelites to reflect on their relationship with God and their treatment of His temple. This message is intended to not only cause us to consider our ways, but also evaluate on a much deeper level the messages that influence us and the ways that they encourage. Our lives are governed by messages. The question is, whose voice has the greatest influence in your life? You see, many times when we're evaluating who we're going to follow, the validity of the message that we adhere to, we don't always base it on the right criteria. Sometimes we look at the person who says it, And do they look like the kind of person I want to follow? Sometimes we look at the source on which it comes. Is that a source that which I believe is credible? And there's often times that we look at a message or messenger that we're going to formulate our lives around. And we say, does this message make me feel comfortable? Is it validating what I am already doing? Because if we're honest, we don't want to change that much. Because a lot of times we have already came up with reasons why we're right where we are. And if we can find a message that validates that, then we will follow, adhere to it. But as God-fearing people, Bible-reading Christians, we know that that's not how God operates. A lot of times the messages that we hear that are godly are countercultural. They're not popular. And they call us to be very uncomfortable and more conformable to the God who sends that message. And there's a reason why a lot of people don't want to conform to what God says, don't listen to the message that he is sending through his people, is because... They don't know how to evaluate the source. And that, my brothers and sisters, is a very good reason why good preaching needs to be prevalent in this world. Because it's crucial for God's people to hear a message that not only informs and encourages them, but is from God and tells them what it is that they need to do to be in line with God's word in the midst of all of these messages that are contrary to the word of God that actually encourages a person to be worldly. Because the truth of the matter is, many people are not considering their ways. Now, as we have come down in our studies to the 
post-exilic era to where God has finished punishing his people for their sins, we are actually studied in the book of Haggai, but we learned today that he was a contemporary of Ezra and Zechariah. So if you would do one thing for me, if you would turn to Ezra 5 and put a finger at Haggai 1. And as we read this, it's going to make a lot of sense while we do that. So what we're going to do is we're going to read Ezra 5, verse number 1, turn over to Haggai 1, and then go back to Ezra 5 and pick up at verse number 2. But as you're turning there, one thing that I want us to consider as I just kind of touched upon is it's important to... Bend your ear to the preaching of God's word and not to the voices that would distract one from following what God says. Because there's a lot of influences that would cause a person to be comfortable, to, 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 to be content and miss out on what God is calling you to and what God desires for your life. Ezra 5, 1, then uh, Haggai 1, and then back to Ezra. Ezra 5, 1 reads, Then the prophets Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God, even unto them. And what was that prophecy? I believe that prophecy was something like this. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth, earneth wages to put it in the bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You look for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow up on it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is waste, and ye run every man to his own house. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon the man, and upon the cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Back to Ezra. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. With them were the prophets of God helping them. At the same time came to them Tatanai, governor on this side of the river, and Shethros Bozni, and their companions, and said thus unto them, who hath commanded you to build this house and to make up this wall? Then said we unto them after this manner, What are the names of the men that make this building? 
But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews that they could not cause them to cease till the matter came to Darius. And then they returned answered by letter concerning this matter. The copy of the letter that Tatanai governor on this side of the river and Shathar Bosnai and his companions, the Afarshites, which were on this side of the river, sent unto Darius the king. They sent a letter unto him wherein was written thus, Unto Darius the king, all peace. Be it known unto the king that we went into the province of Judea to the house of the great God, which is built with great stones and timber and is laid in the walls. And this work goeth fast on and prospereth in their hands. Then asked we those elders and said unto them thus, who commanded you to build this house and to make up these walls? We asked their names also to certify thee that we might write the names of the men that were the chief of them. And thus they returned us answers, saying, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and built the house that was built these many years ago, which the great king of Israel built and set up. But after that, our fathers had provoked the God of heaven unto wrath. He gave them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried the people away into Babylon. But in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, the same king, Cyrus made a decree to build this house and the vessels of gold and silver of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought them into the temple of Babylon. Those did Cyrus king take out of the temple of Babylon and they were delivered unto one whose name was Sheshbazar, whom he had made governor and said to him, take these vessels, go Carry them into the temple that is in Jerusalem and let the house of God be builded in his place. Then came the same Sheshbazar and laid the foundation of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And since that time, even until now, hath it been in building and yet it is not finished. Now there, if it seemed good to the king, let there be search made in the king's treasure house, which is here at Babylon, whether it be so that a decree was made of Cyrus, the king, to build the house, God at Jerusalem, and let the king send his pleasure to us concerning the matter. And so what you have is opposition to the word of God to build his house. And you have these two messages. Do the work of God. Stop because you fear that the king is actually going to enact some type of decree to keep you from doing God's work. Which message will God's people allow to lead them? And while we know through continued uh, continuation of Ezra that it will be found out that Cyrus did enact this decree and Darius will follow along with what Cyrus says and that they will continue to build this house and we read that in the sixth year the house will be completed we are oftentimes at the same fork in the road when we are confronted with the word from God and that's why it's important that you have men and women of God who are going to say what God says no matter what the context to lead you to a godly action. 
Because the world will tell you, get in line with what the world says, and you will be fine. If you continue to do what God wants, you might have to suffer some consequences by a higher authority in this world. But what God says, work at my house, concern yourself with my business, and I will take care of you. It's like Haggai said, consider your ways. How are you going to evaluate the efforts and the messages that you are going to put your energies toward? Are you going to be more concerned about the things that would appear to provide you personal safety in this life? Or are you going to put those concerns aside and say, I want to please my God, my Savior, my Lord, and do the things that build his house, increase his kingdom in this world. You see, to get to that point, we, one, have to look at ourselves and we have to evaluate the messages that we allow to govern us. Because if we don't, what will happen is we could find ourselves putting a whole lot of energies towards noble causes in our mind's eyes, and it leads to nothing. Haggai had spoke about, consider your ways. You work at all of this to build up your houses, and it comes to naught. You go through all of these lengths to get money, and you put it in a purse with holes in it. You go and you gather much, but it actually is little. And what God is saying is because you're not listening to the right source. But he sent them a prophet, Haggai, Zechariah, Ezra, to let them know where they were going astray. And we are benefited through the messages in these books. We're benefited by scripture because it took people of God saying uncommon messages at times when people didn't want to hear it that got them back on track. And the same can happen for us today. Because it's not hard to just... Turn on the TV, turn on the news, meet somebody on the street, have a conversation. And the next thing you know, somebody's telling you the best thing that you could do for your life. They're telling you this next group that you should be a part of that will have such a benefit for you. And it'll amount to nothing. We have just saw this in real time. I'm not trying to promote any political party, but. There were people on both sides of the fence that said the politician that I'm backing has the answer for the world. Well, at least for this country. And if you don't agree with them, then you're going to watch this country be destroyed. And so they want you to support them. They want you to give your money towards them. They want you to give your efforts and campaigning towards them. They want you to believe in them so much so that your every effort and energy is going to promote the ideology that they profess. 
And then there's this Bible which says, follow God. While you might be aware of what's going on in the world, do not concern yourself with that. Follow God and concern yourself with building up God's kingdom. And no matter who is in office, no matter who is in control, you will be benefited in this world, but more so in the next. Consider your ways. Whose message are you allowing to govern your ways, your paths? We would like to say it's God's. But our actions actually bear witness to that. And as we think about the result of our efforts, our actions, one of the things that we must also consider is how do you view the obstacles that are in your way? We saw these two people who went to Darius with complaints that the Jews were building the temple and these were actually Samaritans. We know they have Jews, they have Gentiles, and they want to say that we have some type of ownership in the building of this temple and what Zerubbabel and what Joshua tell them is, no, you don't. This is for God's people to build, not some semi-godly people, but fully godly people. And you have no part in this. And we're going to build the temple because we want to honor God through our efforts. And what actually happens is Tahani, they go and they try to thwart their efforts. They present an obstacle in the building of God's temple. And it worked for a spell. The first time that they tried to work on this temple, that's what hindered the progress. And so it was a 16, 15 year period before they started and we get to where we're at in Haggai 1 or Ezra 5 to where the people are, are, are emboldened enough with the spirit of God to go to work on that temple no matter what the obstacle is. Because at first they did that. And then they were afraid because there was word that this temple was the site of a great king. And that these people were a rebellious people. And they got back to the king. And the king said, wait. You must wait until we check the records. Because they were scared that the king might actually do something to us. But this time was not the case. This time, they said, we're going to continue working until God tells us to stop. And what happens? They continue working and God does not tell them to stop. You see, they did not see the obstacle as something to, to thwart their efforts. And what happens many a times is as Christians, we see obstacles and we interpret that incorrectly. If something doesn't go easy, a lot of times we say, oh, then God said it must not be. If we're trying to do something and then an obstacle comes in our way, uh, a little hiccup, we say that's a sign from God that I'm not supposed to do it. When in reality, it's not. What it just might be is a test of your faith. Will you, despite what you have to go through, 
do what you know is right by God. You know how we can tell we're doing right by God? Not by what we have to go through to get there. But what did what God say? Haggai, consider your ways. Go build my temple. Don't worry about all the, the problems you're going to encounter. Because if God says do it, you know what God's going to do? God's going to supply you the resources. He's going to supply you the people. And he's going to make sure that his work is done. We just saw that when, when Cyrus wrote up his decree, what did Cyrus say? Give them the supplies that they need to get this work done so that they can build a temple to this guy in Jerusalem. Do not hinder their work. Provide them with the resources, the people, and the space to do it. Why? Because that's what God wanted. Even though there was opposition, even though there was people who challenged it, God said, this is what I want done, and he made a way for it to happen. You think about all throughout the biblical narrative that God did that. He called his people up out of Egypt. What condition were they? They were slaves. And it says before they left Egypt, the night that God killed the firstborn, they plundered the Egyptians with much spoil. So much so that when God tells them to build him a tabernacle in the wilderness, they have so much material, so much stuff that Moses has to tell them, you have brought enough. Keep it. And now we get to the point to where God says, rebuild my temple. And the king Cyrus has already decreed because God has placed it on his heart that you will provide the resources to make sure that this temple is rebuilt. You see, what we often allow for us to hinder our efforts, the obstacles, that's just a symptom in life. We have obstacles in everything. We have obstacles in our relationships. We have obstacles in our jobs. We have obstacles in, in just our personal growth and the hobbies that we want to do. And for some reason, the only time we really allow obstacles to keep us from fulfilling our full potential is when it comes to godliness. Just think, most of us are, are married in here. If we would have stopped at the first time our spouse told us no, we'd still be single. Most of us have children. If we wouldn't have disciplined them, then they would be wild and rambunctious. Most of us have jobs, have had jobs. If we would have stopped trying to get a job at the first time our application didn't get accepted, we would be broke. We see, we don't let anything else in life hinder us from accomplishing what we want. But when we come to godliness, to things of God, and we try to do something for God, as soon as something comes that makes it a little bit difficult, we try to say, oh, that's a sign from God. When it's not. 
That's just an opportunity to become more faithful. It's a, it's a chance to solve some ingenuity and maybe do it differently. Or God is telling you, you need to, to, to come consult me before you go about trying to do it your way, but you're going to accomplish the task. Why? Because I want it done. And so we think of reaching out to this community. Some people might say it's an obstacle that we don't have a building full of people already. Some might say that it's an obstacle that most of the people in the room doesn't live in the city of Earl. Some might even say that it's an obstacle that statistically we don't fit the demographic of the city. But all of these are just chances for us to figure out how we can utilize the hurdles that we must come over to do what God wants us to do. Why? Because he's given us everything that we needed to accomplish the goal. How do we know this? Because he has told us to go out and to teach all nations, baptizing people and making Christians everywhere. He didn't limit it. He says to all people. So we know that if we're going to go out and do what he wants, he supplies us with what we need. And there's been many ways that this congregation has tried. We've tried door knocking. We've tried going out and doing service for people. We've tried providing holiday baskets. Now we're going to try mailers. And however it goes, we're going to keep trying something different until God tells us to stop. And what will God tell us to stop? When he calls us to glory. Because he wants us to go out and spread this message of his into the world. And being that we're in this community, that's what we're going to do. Building his house in Earl. And no matter what obstacle comes our way, we're still going to find a way to overcome it. Haggai presented an interesting question. And it's one that we have to ask ourselves from time to time. Because Haggai saw that God's people, they had built their houses, they had gotten comfortable. And then he says to them, is it now the time to live in your paneled houses while the house of God lays in ruins? Translation, when is it time to go and do the work for God? I would say when you recognize it, always, but especially when you recognize that there is a lack of effort in your life towards what God wants. And so we have to be aware, we have to constantly evaluate ourselves because it's easy to not do work for God. Because it's easy to say, now is not the time for me to do God's work because I have to work on myself. Because I have to build myself up. I have to learn more. I got to become more confident. I got to get smarter. I got to know more Bible verses so I can answer people. That's not, that's not ever 
going to happen. You know why? Because we always are lacking something. There's always a passage that we don't know. There's always an answer that we can't answer. There's always a question that leaves us baffled. And if we leave it upon our own strength, our own understanding, then we will never be fully equipped in our minds to go out and do God's work. But if we trust that God said go do it, and we go do it, we might not have the answer. God can provide it. We might not have all of the resources. God can provide it. We might not never be smart enough. But God is. And so the question is, when is the time to work on the things of God? I say now. Not later after we didn't built up our own houses. Because we'll never get to the point to where we have finished building. We'll always see something that we need to work on. We'll always see something that's not quite how we like it. We'll always see something that we want. Oh, I want it differently. And that will cause us to wander further and further away. From doing what God wants. Consider your ways. The best way to do that. Is to evaluate. Whose message. Are you allowing. To guide you. Through this life. There's only two sources. It's of God. And it's not of God. And if it's of God, it's going to cause you to be uncomfortable at times. It's going to require faith. But you will be rewarded. You'll be rewarded with the things you need on this earth to do what God asks you. And you'll be rewarded with an eternal home in heaven. What more could you ask for? And if it's not of God, and it's going to cause you to be more and more worldly and slip further and further away from God. At this point in the history of God's people, Haggai, Zechariah, Ezra, Nehemiah, dare I even say Esther and Malachi, God was calling his people after a period of exile to be his people not only in word but also in deed and obedience we have that same invitation and no matter how far we have gotten from God only we and God know and sometimes we're not a good evaluator of it if we turn repent and refocus our lives on God He's right there with us. He'll empower us to do what he wants us to do. And we're never so far gone that God forsakes us. Evident in the fact he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for our sins. Shows his mercy, his grace, and his love. We should reciprocate that 
by putting efforts into building up his house. Now, I'm not saying that I know what anybody's doing. It's just to put something on your hearts and your minds to think about. Because as we go through the Bible, we notice that it steps on our toes and sometimes it makes us feel uncomfortable. But as Haggai said, consider your ways. Only you can evaluate if you have been doing what God wants you to do. All a preacher can do is present it to you. Call to mind, to memory, the things that God has said. But it's up to the person who hears it to actually take it to heart and to let it impact their relationship with God. I'm not sure where that leaves you, but the message is yours. As together we stand and sing. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.